Baptism. Three people getting water baptized. How exciting. Can, how many people have been water baptized at some stage in their lifetime? Cool. Can you remember it? I think I was about 12, 13 when I happened down in Hawara. Back in the, that was a few years ago, a couple of years ago. So how did they get here? How did they get to a stage where they're going to get water baptized? And uh, what was the, you know, like, what was the journey? And I thought I'd just write a few steps of, of what the journey was. And then I thought I'd just talk about what baptism means um, and what a, what a great thing it is to do. So what are the steps to this point? So the first point is you have to believe that God exists. And these people believe that God exists. And Hebrews eleven six says this, and it's impossible to please God without faith. Anyone who wants to come to him must believe that he, God exists and he res, rewards those who seek him uh, or sincerely seek him. So you've got number one, you've got to believe that God exists. And uh, man, that, that's, that's a start of the journey. The second thing is you've got to believe that God's interested in you, that he actually knows who you are. And that's quite phenomenal that there's, what, 7 billion? Or are there 8 billion now? Or are there 9 billion? I just can't get here. God knows every single one of them. And he knows that you exist. And he's interested in you and wants to make contact with you. That sounds like kind of aliens, doesn't it? God wants to make contact with you. Uh, <clears throat> step three is you've got to believe that um, you can communicate with God. You've got to believe that you can hear from God. That there is an interaction going on. The creator of the universe wants to connect with you. He wants to be in relationship with you. So the fourth thing you have to do is you have to make contact. You have to go, yeah, man, I am going to make contact with God. I'm going to receive God. I'm going to receive Jesus as my Lord and Savior. And these people that are getting water baptized have done that. So they've done, gone through the steps. The result is, or step five, is this transaction where you go, I've decided to follow Jesus. I've decided that I am going to be a Christian. I've decided that I am going to give my life to Jesus. And uh, the sixth step is that you get water baptized and baptized in the Holy Spirit and that you make this commitment. Now, in the time of Christ, when they were baptized, they were baptized and saved in the same transaction. Like when you gave your heart to Jesus and asked him to come into your life, you got baptized right there and then. And it was a huge thing. People would make these changes that could cost them their life. It wasn't, you know, uh, it wasn't until about 90 AD that they started um, doing the whole thing of, of just separating them. Going, okay, this is conversion and now you get water baptized. At that time, they were done in one, one, one go. So let me just read you a couple of scriptures. Uh, Colossians 1 verse 11 says this. We also pray. Oh, that's still a bit airy, isn't it? If I put it down here, is that all right, Dean? It's giving me thumbs up, which is always good. It's every time I breathe, isn't it? <laughs> felt, felt like Darth Vader. <laughs> Breathing in here. Oh, it's still there. Okay, uh, we just ignore it. Okay, just ignore it. Just, just don't worry about it. Okay, Colossians 1 says this, and I'll read from 11 to 22. Uh, we also pray that you will be strengthened with his glorious power, so you will have all the endurance and patience you need. The thing about this relationship with God is it empowers you. It's a living relationship where we tap in to, to being involved with God. It's not like a God's up here and we're down there and you just do what I say. It's an interaction. 
that God wants us to have. And look, lots of us just sort of put it at separation. We go, oh, oh, oh God is someone I have to do things or, or, or he's just looking down on me to make sure I do what he thinks I should do. No, no, God's involved in our life. God wants to be a part of your life every day, talking to you, having a relationship that's living and active. <clears throat> uh, so his glorious power, so you will always have all the endurance and patience you need. May you be filled with joy, always thanking the Father. He has enabled you to share in the inheritance that belongs to his people. So becoming a Christian is that you enter into a family. So we've got God the Father, we've got God the Holy Spirit, and we've got God Jesus. And, and Jesus is the Son. And when we enter into a relationship, into a baptism, into becoming part of the family, then, then there are some perks with that. You know, we, we all hope one day that we get a big inheritance. Don't you? You all want an inheritance at some stage. Not now. Don't say you want it now. But at some stage, inheritance is when they, the, the, the generation before passes on to the next. Now, this is saying, hey, you only get the inheritance if you're part of the family. Aren't you? You've got to be part of the family to receive inheritance. I mean, I'd love to get an inheritance from somebody else's family, but I know it's not going to happen, is it? You get an inheritance within your own family. And I want to give an inheritance to my children. Here, when you become part of the family, when you put into that com uh, commitment to be, uh, you, be, you get an inheritance. You belong to the people. You are part of the inheritance. And verse 13, God is the creator. It says, for he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son. Does this change go? Does this change of kingdoms? Changes of allegiances. It's like a change of country. We go from the country of darkness and we walk into the country of life. For the football fans. It's like, say you once were a backslidden, well, no, not backslidden, you were an Arsenalist supporter and you said, that's it, I'm not supporting them anymore. I'm going to go support Manchester United. Would that happen? Everybody's silent. Maybe you went from being a Liverpool supporter to a mid. You, you'd do this change. What would happen in that change? You'd, you'd change your colors. Man, you wouldn't wear that horrible Arsenal T-shirt anymore, would you? You'd throw that in the rubbish and you'd say, no, no, no. Now I'm a Manchester United fan. I'm right in there. there. I'm... Have we got any Manchester United fans here? Well, Joel, you're very quiet. I specifically did this for you so that you'd go, yes, yes, let's all change to Manchester United. Okay, so now we're going to change to Liverpool. Uh, I think that he's not excited about it. Anyhow, you've done this change. For he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son who purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. Christ is the invisible image of of the invisible God. Sorry, is the visible image of the invisible God. What's that mean? Look, you know, you can't see God. I'd love to be able to just go, look, here he is, but God's in a spiritual realm. You're a spirit. You're a spirit. You've got a soul and you've got a body. God's a spirit. But he wanted us to understand what God was like, so he sent Jesus as a man and he's the visible. That's what God is like. You read about Jesus, it tells you exactly what God is. It tells you all about him. And most people I know that have read about Jesus, whether they're a Christian or not, go, man, he was an amazing man. He was a good man. He did all good. Jesus is what God is like. He is God. Yeah. <clears throat> 
So Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme above all creation. Now, I'm a, I believe in creation. I believe God created the world. It is too complex, too intricate that it could have just appeared here. It's just beyond, you know, statistics. Scientists now even go, look, there's something. They don't want to admit it's God, but they admit that there is something that happened that ended up creating the world because it's too complex. It's too much in exactly the right place and, and you know, where the earth is and how gravity works. And, and God has designed it, but he's created also visible and invisible things. There's a spiritual realm. There's a spiritual realm going on. Now, I... I don't completely understand the spiritual realm. We're so used to what we can sort of see and touch with our five senses. But the spiritual realm is just as real as the natural realm. And it's phenomenal. And in a sense, I go, it's a little bit for us like, like uh, if, if someone had a little tiny keyhole, say, or a hole in the wall here, and they're outside and they're looking through the keyhole to see what we were all doing here, and we were all running around, you wouldn't know what was going on. You'd sort of see little bits, but you wouldn't be able to make sense of it. The spiritual realm is a completely different realm to this realm, but it interacts, weaves in. God's presence is here now. Now, you might go, well, I don't feel it. But there will be some people here that go, yes, I can feel it. I can know where God is. I definitely know I can walk into some places and go, oh, I can feel this. There's, there's an atmosphere in here. You can feel bad atmospheres. You can feel good atmosphere. What's that? that that's the spiritual realm that's interacting. Uh, so God, he existed before anything was created, supreme over all creation. So Jesus is right at the beginning. It said God created the world, um, and, and the word was there, which is Jesus. So he was there at the beginning of creation when everything came together. God's existed uh, before anything was created and supreme. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms, the spiritual realm, and on earth. He made things that we can see and things that we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, authorities in the unseen world. Now, that's interesting, isn't it? What does that look like? Well, there's definitely a spiritual realm. There's definitely angels. There's definitely demons. There's definitely a spiritual realm going on. Mm. Everything was created through him and for him. See, if you don't understand that God created the whole universe, you don't realize that, hey, I actually, I actually exist for God. Everything I have have has come from God. You think of a little child, a five-year-old child, okay, at home, and, and really they go, it's a little bit like going, oh, look, look what I've got. I've got all these things. And we go, well, we know that the only reason they've got those things is that their parents gave them to me. Everything they have. If you're a five-year-old, everything you have came from your parents, didn't it? You didn't get anything yourself. They've, they've given you all your food, and it's easy to, for us here on earth to get to the stage where we think, oh, no, we've done it all ourselves. But it's just like that. God's given you everything you have. Everything we have is, exists through him. He's the life flow throughout the whole of the world. He brings it all together. It is phenomenal. So verse 70, he, create, he existed before anything else. He holds creation together. Oh, that's mind-blowing. That's mind-blowing. I mean, 
I don't think they still understand exactly how gravity works. Big objects attracting little objects, but how does that work? Well, that's God holding everything together. They don't even know when they, they do the atoms, what holds them together. It's God. God's through everything, pulling everything together. It's, it's, it's an amazing, complex thing that's beyond our understanding. And the bigger you go big, you know, with the, the telescopes, and the smaller you go microscope, you just go, this is phenomenal how this all works together. He existed before anything else and holds creation, all creation together. Christ is also the head of the church, which is his body. He is the beginning supreme over all who rise from the dead. So he is the first of anything. And verse 19, for God in his fullness was pleased to live in Christ. So here's again the, the Trinity. God exists in Jesus. It's the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, and the Holy Spirit all flowing together in one. A little bit complicated sometimes, but also simple. And I think sometimes we overcomplicate it. And through him, so for God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ, and through him, God reconciled everything to him. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by Christ's blood on the cross. So what was happening in the spiritual and in the natural was there is a separation. The fall of humankind meant that man was separated from God. We were disconnected from him. We were disconnected in a sense physically, but also spiritually. And the only way back to God was through Jesus coming and reconciling us, putting it right. Uh, I do a little bit of accounting here every now and again. And, and to reconcile is you've got to even it up. You've got to make sure it balances. And so what happened is Jesus took our sin and goes, look, there's the penalty of sin. Now I'm going to pay for that sin. So now that slate's clean. It's reconciled. It's dealt with. And now we can have a free relationship with Christ. In verse 29, this includes you who were once far away from God. You were his enemy, separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. And now he has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. As a result, he has brought you into his own presence, and you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. It's mind-blowing. That when we, uh, when we ask Jesus into our life, he cleanses us. He takes away all the evil, all the sin in our lives. And now we are in right relationship with God. <clears throat> so what happens when we get baptized? Well, baptism in the New Testament was, was a common way for a person to, to, to show that they're following a rabbi or a teacher. It was a common way to say that I am going to become a follower of this rabbi. And it would mean that you would talk like them, you would teach like them, you were like them. And people should have been able to know when you talked, ah, oh, you're a follower of that rabbi, I can tell by the way you talk. It was a way of saying that you were, were I'm a part of this group of people. In the first century, it was often a matter of life and death. Since a public de declaration of change of ownership, of becoming a Christian, say, could sever your family, your employment. Uh, most dramatically, if one declared Christ was their Lord, it meant that Caesar was not their Lord, and that was punishable by death. So making a decision to go, I'm going to become a Christian and get him baptized, 
was a, was a high-risk thing. But you're saying, no longer, I'm no longer saying Rome is supreme and, and the Caesars won. I'm saying God is supreme and he's who I serve and, and live for. It was a big challenge. And they had what they called, uh, in first century, they had what they call a patron-client relationship. So a patron was someone who had people under them that he looked after. Uh, and in some stages, they would have servants, slaves. And sometimes a slave would be able to go free. But the slave would choose to say, no, no, I'm going to stay in this household. And, and I'm not going to be a slave, but I'm going to stay in this household because this guy looks after me. He's my patron. He, he feeds me. He's worthwhile. I like serving him. And so there would be this relationship. And, but it was reciprocal. It's a great word, isn't it? Everybody say reciprocal. Imagine trying to say that 20 times. That would be quite hilarious, wouldn't it? We're not going to try that, just out of hunt. But reciprocal meant that there was a reciprocal relationship, that the patron had an expectation of people, and the person who became part of their, what they called a client, became their client, would have to, in a sense, live the way the patron did. And so they would change their whole way of living. And uh, it implies that the act of giving would mean that they would be receiving something in return. So in Roman history, the protector or the dependent, uh, the protector of a dependent client, often formed a master relationship. <clears throat> and what this meant is that when you chose to go in part of them, you were now representing them and we were expected to act like them. And there was this realization that you would change the way you lived. That would be a, a reflection of the person who was now your, your boss. Yeah. And people would see a change in your, your way you did things. It was important. Uh, they knew that sometimes the change was so big that it would take a while for someone to actually change in the way they lived. And what would happen is the way they would live would would in effect, glorify or would, would show the uh, patron to be an amazing person. That was part of this relationship that was going on. <clears throat> and then uh, this, this if, if after a while the patron said, you're not living the way that, that, that I want you to live, you're out. And they would get dismissed and possibly lose their life. Another similarity in baptism was what they called the sacramentum, which was what the Roman soldier would do to his general. It was an oath that he was going to serve his general and he was full in and that he would give his life for his general. That his general would say, jump, and he'd say, how high? He would just follow exactly what, this is what this relationship was. And so when they talked about baptism, it was to that degree that you were suddenly changing and now you were following Jesus, you were his, you were his servant, you were his slave, you were changing who your allegiance was. It was huge. So in Romans 6, uh, Paul tries to illustrate this, and it's a great thing to go read if you want to understand it. He says, Romans 6, 1 says, so, uh, so what do we do? Do we keep on sinning? So we've made this transaction, we've asked Jesus into our lives, what do we do? Do we keep on sinning? So God can keep on forgiving. I should hope not. If we've left the country where sin is sovereign, the kingdom of darkness, how can we still live in our old house there? Or didn't you realize 
we packed up and left there for good and moved. This is what happened in baptism. We went under the water and left our old country of sin behind. We came up out of the water and we entered into the new country of grace, a new life, a new land. Isn't that cool? I don't think you can quite do that. We left Arsenal and came in. We enjoyed and managed it. It's just not quite enough, is it? But you've left the country. You've gone, now I live. Now, if anybody that's moved country knows that you change culture. It's a different culture. You have to choose to live in the culture that you are now. And that means that you have to change some of your ways of doing it. You've actually got to change your language. If you come from a culture where they don't speak English, now you come to New Zealand, say, you have to start speaking English. You have to fit into the culture. You change things. Not your rugby team, though, okay? So you really haven't gone the full hog, have you? You really can't saw yourself a New Zealand citizen if you can't support the All Blacks, can you? No, oh, mate. You've still got one foot in the other camp. You can't do that. Okay, anyhow, carrying on. <clears throat> we won't say anything more. Um, <clears throat> that's what baptism is into the life of Jesus means. When we are lowered into the water, it's like a burial of Jesus. It's like the burial of Jesus. When we are raised up out of the water, it's like the resurrection of Jesus. Each of us is raised into a light-filled world by our Father so that we can see where we're going in our new grace-sovereign country. What an amazing, great thing. It's a picture. It's a great picture. It's like going from a military rule country into a free country. What a difference that became. It's a change of allegiance. I no longer have my allegiance to myself. I now have my allegiance to God. It's pretty heavy duty. It's not just a walk in the park, is it? It's a big decision in the change of how we live. Living. So here's five quick things of, of what uh, the mean, five meanings around baptism. The first one is it's a, it's a response to the gospel, the power of God to salvation for everyone who has faith. And Romans 1 16, for I'm not ashamed of the good news about Christ. It is the power of God at work, saving everyone who believes, the Jew first and also the Gentile. This good news tells us how God made us right in his sight. This is accomplished from start to finish by faith. As the scripture says, it is through faith that a righteous person has life. So baptism is a mark of this decision that's been made. And it's a point where we go, I made this decision that I'm going to follow Jesus. I made a, uh, it's a day where I know the supernatural deliverance. Guilt, doubt, fear, loneliness, hostility, miserable, crippling habits, moral weakness, despairing loneliness. It's the day that I leave that. And live with Jesus. The second thing is, baptism is a little bit like a marriage service, which is, I was giving, I'm giving away to Jesus. I moved from being living for myself, now I'm, I'm married to Jesus. I've, I've taken on this relationship. It's a covenant partnership for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer. But ultimately, it's best for the best, isn't it? Um, so, baptism reminds me. You know, I wear a ring that reminds me that I, I married Eleanor back on the 7th of December, 1991. Is that right? Oh, good. <laughs> there we go. A few years ago. But baptism is, hey, I remember, I'm, I made the decision. I'm following Jesus. He's my Lord and my Savior. 
<clears throat> it's death day too. Okay, that's, that doesn't sound that exciting, does it? But the third thing is our baptism reminds us like a burial service, a funeral rite, committing the man, uh, the old man, the nature, the, the Adam nature. And we buried therefore with him in Christ in baptism. That is by the work of God revealed in baptism. We're united with him in death and our old self is crucified with him. And then we're resurrected new. So it's a, it's a burial, it's a death of the old life. It's saying goodbye to my old life. And it's resurrecting with God. It's saying, I'm going to live in relationship with God. You know, a lot of us sometimes sort of, I, I don't know whether we go the full hog. We keep a little foot in, in, in the other camp just to see what's going on. No, no, this is a full thing where now you're, you're interacting with God. You need to have an active relationship with God, an active communication with God. <clears throat> and fourth, baptism reminds me of the resurrection. Reminds me that I, that I will one day be raised with Christ. And I can tell you from doing funerals, it, it is such an amazing thing to be able to do a funeral of a Christian because you know that they believe in the resurrection and that they will one, well, that, that day they go to be with Jesus and that one day we can go and meet them. It's an incredible thing because we believe in the resurrection. And the fifth I put is a bit, fifth baptism is a sign of my commissioning. You know, if you go into service, you get commissioned. No matter what, if you go into service as a police or, or fire, there is a, a, a ritual where you're now commissioned. Now, you've been commissioned. You're on, you're on now. You're, you're part of this. You have to live a certain way. You have to act within that. Well, it's the same as a Christian on baptism. Oh, you're commissioned. And people are going to, for the, the people getting water baptized, people are going to give them words. It's about their commissioning. Commissioned to do a job, which is to serve the King of kings and Lord of lords. It's to live your life for Jesus. It's exciting. Baptism, the picture of a process of moving from one Christian, uh, one country, one way of living, one culture into a new way of living. It's a new day. Let me pray. Father, I thank you for every person here. And Lord, I pray that they would know, number one, how real you are and how interested you are in them. And Father, I pray, Lord, that right now you would help them to know that you love them and that you want to be in relationship with them. And Father, for those that are in relationship with, them, with you, Father, Lord, I pray they would live in that. Lord, live in that communicating, listening to you every day, listening and being guided by your Holy Spirit and, and living a life of freedom, Father. Lord, I pray for those who don't know you, that, that, that they would, uh, Lord, even go on a journey to find you, that they would know how real you are, how, how much you want to do life with them. And that, Lord, you are, we are made to be in relationship with you. The inside, the getting peace on the inside is just so amazing. And Father, I pray that every person would know that peace. We pray. Lord, bless these people getting water baptized. Lord, we thank you for them. And we pray that you would anoint them and commission them. And Lord, that they would, uh, Lord, do all that you've called them to do, we ask. In Jesus' name, amen.